Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to role-playing game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers and of Double Exposure with their amazing game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 128, Designing with Production in Mind. Recorded at Metatopia 2016. Presented by Matt Fantastic. Uh, All right, so um, this is Designing with Production in Mind. If you are happy to be here, you should still be here. If you are not, then now is your time to shine, to sneak out. Um, Oh, hey, what's up, man? Um, uh, I'm going to do this seated because uh, this is really weirdly – well, not weird. I like to stand when I'm talking, and this is a very, like, uh, functional uh, course that I'm doing. Uh, Unlike most other – it's very early in the morning for me as well. Um, but I usually walk around a lot when I'm, so I'm going to try sitting because I'm up here and it'd be weird if I was just like pacing on the stage. Um, forgive me if it's awkward. Uh, so this is designing with production in mind. Basically this is for people who are game designers, uh, and not necessarily self-publishers, um, but maybe self-publishers, but this is, this is primarily about thinking about the physical components and what actually is your game. Uh, that actually will go to market, not your prototype, right? It's very easy to prototype your minis game with a bunch of cool Lego figures like the one that I have this weekend here. Um, And it looks awesome and you're like, oh shit, this is so cool. There's all these cool custom figures and look how great it looks on the table. And like, you know what? Like that, it's not going to get made with those um, because I didn't didn't get the Lego contract uh, license. So, so, you know, thinking about it, it's like, okay, what are these going to be? Can these be chips? Do these have to be minis? Do these have to be that, right? So you're thinking about it. Your prototypes are typically going to be handmade. Um... They're typically going to be things that you can do because you're making one of them, and it's going to come out like way better than something that you can mass produce, or maybe way worse. Um, but the the way that things are mass produced and produced for actual uh, the consumer level uh, print run sizes is going to be generally different than whatever it is you're doing for your prototype. Um, so we're going to go through a bunch of different things uh, about that, ways to think about it. Um, we're going to run this more like a lesson. This is a class. This is actually a, a single class that I do teach. Uh, oh, who am I? That's a thing, right? So uh, my name is Matt Fantastic. Um, I am a designer, developer. Um, the main thing that I have done the most in the industry, I would say, or most known for in the industry, is uh, manufacturing. Uh, so I do a lot of print brokering. Um, I helped start a company that did manufacturing. Uh, I worked for Panda for a bit, uh, like very short. Um, and now I do freelance print brokering stuff with people. Um, so I am the person that you come to and then talks to China and handles manufacturing. Um, so I'll do a lot of consulting. If you don't have a production department and you need your stuff done, I will do that for you. Um, <clears throat> I also, uh, starting this spring, I'm going to be uh, teaching a game design course at Quinnipiac. Um, so this is actually one of the classes that I am going to be teaching. And this is one that I did at PAX Dev. I don't think anybody else was there, right? Okay, cool. This is all fresh and exciting. You've never, this is never before heard. Never before heard material. Um, <clears throat> I apologize too. There is a handout <clears throat> that I don't have because I completely forgot to print it. Um, but if you want it, well, I'll talk about what it is, and if you want it, you can you know get it online later. 
Um, so what we're going to start with right now is I got a little hook here. Uh, I want everybody, and I don't have a whiteboard, which is a pain in the ass, but uh, we'll pretend. Um, <clears throat> I want everybody to just kind of throw out some ideas about how you can track player health in a game. What are the physical mechanisms with which we track player health? Tokens. Tokens, that's great. Uh, sliders. sliders, really good. Cards. Cards, yeah, that's awesome. Dice. Dice. Pen and paper, awesome, awesome. Card orientation. Card orientation, I like that, that's deep, that's good. All right, well, that's fine. We, we don't need to generate a massive list. There's a shit ton more too. Um, and the thing, the thing that about this that is interesting is that all of those are viable and workable methods, right? Everyone here has played a game that's used almost all of those things. Maybe the card tapping is a little less popular, um, and I'm gonna get to that in a little bit. Um, but most of these things are things that we're all familiar with, right? But that is a massive decision that you're making as a uh, producer of games, right? As a designer, you're like, well, we need to track health. That's what I care about. We're tracking health, right? <clears throat> That's all, on my, on my prototype, I'm just using a pad and paper, right? Or I'm using a die. It's just like a random D20 I have, right? Um, but when you're making the game uh, as, a, as a product, that is a very important decision that's gonna dictate a lot of things. Uh, are you gonna include a patent paper in the product? Are you gonna tell people to provide their own patent paper in the product? Are you going to be like Fantasy Flight and give you a bucket full of chits that like, you, know, you use to keep track of all this stuff? Um, are you gonna do sliders? Are you gonna, you know, um, how is that all going to be physically produced in the game? And so as designers, we're not necessarily thinking about how that's gonna be, but we should be. Um, as much as we can, right? So a couple suggestions that I think are, are really uh, great and we're gonna talk about more later, uh, both involve the card deck as the life and the card orientation as life. Because right there, now you're doing something where that physical production, if you're using a deck of cards that is also like your actions but also your life, now that is a design decision and you've now combined components in a way combined components in a way that is going to be more appealing. It's gonna create a smaller footprint. It's going to create a, uh, lower cost to produce game, and you're going to be doing something where you're multi-using components, right? What about dice, right? So we can use dice as both random number generators and uh, stat trackers of some sort, right? You can track numbers with it, and you can also randomly generate numbers. So, hey, like if there's one D20 in there, and at the beginning of the game you have to roll something, and then you use it to track something later, well, that's great. Now you just took out one component of the game that's gonna make it more expensive and more uh, costly to produce and less likely to get made. That, however, is not specifically a design decision, whereas the deck of cards, that's going to be intrinsic to the design. That's going to be something that from the ground up, you need to build into that design. And if you're like, hey, we don't want to do cards as life, well, now all of a sudden, you're going to have to do uh, some redesign you know, work on that. And that, that can happen, that's fine. But um, <clears throat> the idea is that you want to be thinking about the physical production very early in your process, even if that's not something that you otherwise would be thinking about. Um, because there's going to be things that are going to be deal breakers. Um, I can't tell you how many projects I've quoted for people where they were like, I need you know, 45 custom dice and this thing, and we're going to do minis, and there's going to be 800 chits because they're all different shapes, and I need you know, different chits for this and different chits for this. And, you know, and then it's like, guys, like, this is like $140 like, MSR. Like, this is, you know, like, you're not going to sell like, your, your Carcassonne variant for $140. Uh, like it's just not gonna happen, right? Um, whereas you can look at the same project. I'm sorry, guys. I just want everyone to be reminded we are recording these panels. Don't say anything you wouldn't say on the internet. Let me know if you need any help. Boner, boner, boner. Go Trump. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Sorry, it's early. <laughs> Professional level shit here. Professional level shit here. Um, <laughs> so dialing that back, that's sort of like a big picture kind of thing, and we're going to unpack a little bit more. Uh, the most important thing, and this is rule zero, this is the most important aspect of everything that I'm going to say today. Make the best fucking game that you can. Do not not make a game awesome because you're like, well, Matt said you shouldn't have a lot of custom dice. Well, no, like, you know, Quarriors exists and it's great and it does what it does. And, you know, like, that's like, that was probably not a great choice uh, initially of like, you know, what, we're going to do this game and it's going to have like 50 custom dice and they're going to be all, you know, like it's going to come in this metal tin and, you know, like it wasn't the best idea to start with, but it is worked out. And because of the, who produced it and the numbers they made it, it worked. So make an awesome game. That is by far the most important thing. Make a game that is good, make a game that is fun. Production is, is not the be all end all because if your game is good enough, you will probably still be able to make it. Um, that is not to say that you're gonna, you know, it's, it's unlikely that you're gonna fall in that 0.01% of games that can transcend to like some massively, uh, you know, expensive thing and still be successful, but it is possible. Still make focus on making the best game and then worry about, uh, you know, some of that stuff down the line once you're still making the best game. Uh, great example, uh, right here, um, I think he's here. Does anybody, has anybody seen Kurt uh, Covert from uh, Smirk and Dagger? Anybody know him? No? Okay, well, anyway. Um, so a few years ago, he showed me this game and it's incredible. It's amazing. Who here, everybody knows Kerplunk? Right, it's like an old, old mass market game. It's like a big tower with marbles, and there's like a bunch of little, you know, sticks going through it. They kind of hold all the marbles up, and like this kind of like mess. And you're pulling sticks out, and marbles fall. And the goal is to get the least marbles, you know, in Kerplunk. So he took the Kerplunk engine and used it as the primary mechanism to ex uh, to express your uh, ever uh, dwindling sanity as you are dealing with, you know, great old ones. It's Cthulhu kind of thing. Um, and you're, you're pulling things out. Everybody's played Dread, everybody's familiar with Dread, right? Where you're doing the Jenga towers, your sanity, right? Um, <clears throat> similar concept, different colored marbles are coming out basing w on what's happening as you're, you're dabbling with these things. But it used a Kerplunk tower. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who don't know, plastic is incredibly cheap if you're doing a million units and incredibly expensive if you're doing not that many. <laughs> and so uh, it was this thing and we were just like, Kurt, this is incredible, this is so amazing. And, and, we're, and he's like, yeah, I'm never gonna make it. <laughs> you know, like this is, you know, like this is, a, you know, like I, I have whatever. Although I, I heard, uh, I have not confirmed with him yet, but I heard last night that he did indeed finally get the Kerplunk license and will, and the game will be coming out. Um, so that is instructive in both directions, right? That, that he made this thing and it was like, well, this is never gonna fucking happen, right? But it turned out to be so good and so awesome and he happens to be reasonably connected in the industry and you know, a variety of other things, but he managed to make the game still happen because it's such an awesome game, right? So, so all of this like, you know, don't do certain things because you can't produce it is generally true, but also there are outliers. There are, you know, things that you can do. So rule zero, make the best game. That is absolutely the most important thing. Um, real quick, just touching on what makes the best game, just because, you know, like I was just talking about that and didn't do a great job of it in my last panel like we were supposed to. Um, you want to think about the goals of what your design is. You want to think about your target market. You want to think about the value proposition of the game. And you want to think about your artistic vision for what it is that you want to be doing. Those are kind of the four major uh, components, I think, uh, uh, and questions that you need to be asking yourself when you're working on it. Um, and this is also a great lens to look through this production thing, right? If my goal is to make like 10 copies of this interesting, weird, insane, handmade, beautiful thing, and I want to make this awesome art project, like 
great. Like your your interests and your concerns are going to be very different than someone who's like, well, you know, like I want to go to Kickstarter and we're probably going to print like two or three thousand, right? You're printing two or three thousand, you're probably not going to do custom plastic. It's probably not a great idea. It it can work, but you know, it just becomes really cost ineffective. Or, oh, this is a game that I'm going to pitch to, you know, Cool Mini or not or Ninja Division or you know Hasbro or Asmodee. I mean, I'm going to pitch this to huge people and they're going to print tens of thousands of copies and then all of a sudden all this other crazy weird shit comes back onto the table. All the custom plastic stuff, totally possible when you're printing 100,000 of them. It's like dirt cheap, right? The molds are very expensive, but the plastic, squirting the plastic into a mold is very, very cheap. Um, so it's a huge singular upfront cost. And then you just, how many units are you going to spread that out over is, is what's going to make the difference there. Um, Something that we also want to be thinking about because this is specifically, well, actually show of hands, who here is uh, a designer? Everyone here is a designer to some degree, right? We don't have to do that. Who here is a designer who is, uh, let's say, planning to self-publish uh, versus planning to pitch to other publishers? So who, who wants to like self-publish? Right, it's probably about half and half. Um, those of you who want to self-publish, talk to me afterwards. I'll dissuade you of that terrible idea. Um, <laughs> But um, it's important to make a distinction between designer-level decisions and publisher-level decisions, right? So a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about are ultimately publisher-level decisions. What we're trying to do as designers is, from the ground up, be thinking about the fact that these decisions are going to be made later down the line, right? Like, we're not ultimately going to decide, like, that we're going to use 16-millimeter dice or 12-millimeter dice, right? Like, that's not ultimately up to us. But when we're presenting the game and working out what it is, we want to be thinking about the fact that, like, well, will this work with 12-millimeter dice? Will this work with 16? Do we need 20? Are the dice intrinsic? Are we building the dice? You know, like, what is it that we're using these components as the actual mechanics of the game? So that then when we present ourselves to a publisher, we're like, hey, we already thought about this, right? So uh, I have a personal example for a dice game that uh, was picked up uh, by USAopoly. And uh, one of the things that was very helpful in, in getting it to go was I presented it to them and they were like, this game's pretty sweet, you know, like whatever, what are the, you know, like, and then they're kind of like, well, what is the, what's the production footprint? What is this? And it's like, oh, well, here it is. This is how it can be packaged. This is how it's going to be produced. This is the way that the faces of the dice are done so that it's easier to do. Uh, you're going to do actually less custom molds, even though you're going to do different squirts and different colors and things like that. You know, this is, this is the production. And here's actually, it's like a reasonable value proposition for the production. This is about what the MSR should be because I think, you know, like that kind of stuff. And they were like, well, great. This is stuff we don't have to think about. This is stuff that I don't have to worry about. This is stuff that you already thought about, and now I'm not like playing this game that I really enjoy. But then, like, oh, I can't fucking make this. Like, this, you know, like, cool. This game's awesome. Like, I hope someone makes it. That's not me, because I can't. Because you know, like, I'm not going to print enough, or it's just not something that I work with, or just it, you know, this is going to be a $300 MSR, and like, that's not really going to work for a lot of stuff. Um, so so you're presenting it to, the thing is ultimately publishers are making a business decision, right? Um, there are very few publishers, certainly they're in business for any amount of time, uh, that make decisions purely on the artistic and creative merit of games, right? Um, every single publisher I've ever done playtesting or development or you know any other work with uh, absolutely can tell you stories about playing a game that they thought was fucking incredible, but that they just couldn't fit into the line. And that goes beyond just production stuff. You know, it can be that they already have a game with a similar theme, and they don't want to cannibalize the market, or they have something similar that they're already working on, or it's just you know too big or too small, or it just doesn't fit whatever it is that they're trying to do with the line, right? So, so what we want to be doing is presenting games 
that are here's the value proposition this is a good game great like that's kind of like the baseline is your game is good like don't show them shitty games right your game is pretty good and here is how this game is going to help make you money and a big part of that is here's how this much this game is going to cost and here's how much it's reasonably going to sell for because you know there's all these different kind of like rough kind of ideas everybody kind of has like that rough idea of you know a party game should cost about this much like a big minis game is going to cost about this much you know this game is this 15 minute dice game it can't be a 50 dollars game right like it's a 15 minute dice game no one's going to pay 50 dollars for a 15 minute dice game like by and large right so um you're saying that you've thought about this marketing choices you've thought about these these uh, things as part of your design process is is you're thinking about how is this going to get sold from the beginning not here's this cool game now how the fuck do we make this that's a problem and that becomes a hurdle for you getting your game signed if a the more work a publisher has to do to make your game uh, sellable and producible the less likely they are going to pick it up and be interested in it and if you're self-publishing the way less headaches you're going to have and the way less money you're going to waste and the way less you know a kickstarter with an eight thousand dollar goal because you trimmed it down and you have it in this neat little you know multi-use component thing that's really beautiful is going to be way easier than a fifty thousand dollar you know like massive huge thing just just that's just basic facts of how these things work right like you're a lot more likely to get eight grand than fifty grand <laughs> Uh, people are going to look at you as a first-time creator or a newer creator and say, hey, eight grand, like that seems like a manageable project. Fifty grand, now you're getting into like, that's some serious shit that you're talking with, right? Like, there's a lot more moving pieces. You're doing a lot more there. That's like, you can fuck that up way worse than, you know, a deck of 52 cards in a tuck box, right? Like, oh, this is a deck of cards in a tuck box. Great. Like, you could probably handle that first-time publisher. I have, I have good faith in you. Oh, what? This is this has got like 25 punch boards and eight custom miniatures and, you know, like all this stuff. Like, well, do you, what do you know about this stuff, guy? Like, cause there's a lot more moving pieces there, right? Um, similarly, the more different types of components that are involved, the more complicated it gets, right? And, and that's gonna be a thing, a publisher level decision too, because, you know, like, do I have to deal with custom plastics or can we use, you know, chits? Because it's a lot cheaper to, to get pr to, to produce uh, beforehand as well, right? Like, getting somebody to lay out the art for a card is uh, a lot cheaper than getting somebody to 3D model or, or physically sculpt a miniature for you and then capture that and then create a file and then you know make molds and you know that that process is way more complicated and way more difficult um, so thinking uh, thinking about this like price thing of uh, how are you doing on time my actually this should show me the time oh Jesus Christ I talk fast all right um, <laughs> so like I said before, you have the uh, hobby versus mass market expectations, right? Where are you trying to position this game? So hobby expectations are like a $60 MSR is like not a thing. People don't really, you know, it's fine. Like, or it's not a problem rather. It's not a thing that people are gonna raise an eyebrow at. Um, you're gonna have cheaper games, of course, but like, oh, $60, yeah, that's what a game costs. You're gonna target, you know, like uh, Catan is, is 50 bucks in Target uh, and, and it, it does fine, but it's also like, what the fuck? Like, you know, <laughs> like the risk is 12. Like risk is literally $12. And you know, like that's a lot of pieces. There's a lot going on there. You know, like in terms of component, like it's it's not, it's it's not near as nice as a Catan with all the wood and all that stuff. But it's also not like dramatically like oh, this is like a little box, right? It's like consumers are going to go in there like that's a big ass box. There's a whole lot of shit in there. Like that's twelve bucks. Like why do you want to pay fifty for this thing? Like you pick it up, you're like, well, this is heavy. Okay. Oh yeah, that was for a year. No, it's great. This is a, I highly recommend Star Trek Catan. It's wonderful. Um, great variant. Um, 
But so when you're thinking about your game, well, who does your game appeal to, right? Again, it gets to that, like, you know, this is a $15 dice game that you think you're going to sell in the mass market. Well, that, that's what you need to kind of aim for, and you're thinking about that. This is a game for hobby. We're going to do, you know, it's going to be a $60, $70 MSR because it's a heavy Euro that, you know, Bonacore is going to put out or something, right? It's like when you're thinking about that, like, you need to design for the, the price point as well. You know, keep that in mind. Like, don't, you know, you don't need to be hard and fast, but, like, you know, is this a cheap game? Is this a, is a, is this a mid-level game? Is this an expensive game? Is this, like, a real flagship title that's going to be 100 bucks? Like, is this, you know, is this a huge big box full of minis? you know, Simon like, massive thing, or is this, you know, like, is, is that much game can be boiled down to chips, right? Like, a lot of these games can go backwards. You can, you can, in a, and this is actually jumping ahead of my, my outline here, but um, it's way easier to fancify something than to, to take away from something, right? So, <clears throat> if your game works well, uh, this is another thing, like, prototype, make your first prototype ugly as fuck. Don't spend any time making it beautiful. Make it really terrible looking and actively like not great looking. Make it clear and easy to understand, but make it ugly. Because a lot of times I see people that uh, will have a prototype and they'll put all this effort into the art. Uh, and not even getting into people that are spending money and like, that level of like, oh my God, you're doing way too much. But just putting a shit ton of effort into that. And then people will play the game. And if the art is really intrinsic to what it is, and it's you know that can be good, but mechanically, you want your early playtests to be: Does this fucking work? Does this work on a mechanical level? Not not are you laughing at the jokes? Are you are you like wow this is beautiful? Like does the game work? Do you like the game? When I add this when I add this layer of of art and creativity and actual quality production, it's going to make it that much better. But if this is like an ugly pile of shit and you still have fun with it. Then, then I know what's going on. Then I can see that this is doing well. Then I can see that you're not just like, oh man, this card is hilarious. Like, oh my God, look at this picture. It's like amazing. Like this, this looks so cool, right? Like, like laser riders, right? Like uh, to pull out a, a, a current example of something that you look at and you're just like, I don't even fucking care what this game is. This is awesome. I want it, right? So, at least for me, that game when you're play testing that game early, it should be ugly and shitty because then you're playing it and you're like, well, mechanically, it's kind of janky, right? But like, if I'm looking at it and I'm just like, this is—I don't care. This is amazing. This just looks so cool. This is this is something that I want to own, and I I will have a great time with it because it's beautiful and fun. And I don't know, the game's okay, I guess, right? So, jeez, uh, I went way off topic. But um, <clears throat> the point is that adding <laughs> adding stuff and making stuff better and more appealing, uh, visually and physically, is way easier. Um, you can always you can always replace a d6 with a custom die, right? Like if you wanted to, you can always uh, replace a chit with a miniature. You can always, you know, make tiles bigger and thicker. You can always add more cards. You can always make the cards oversized. You can you know you can always make the game more expensive and bigger, which will which will frequently happen because uh, uh, in the market there there will be positioning stuff that people want to do and they're going to say hey you know what this game like right now i could do this game is 20 bucks or i could do this game is 50 bucks and i think doing it at 50 bucks is actually going to be a better marketing choice and position us better in the market so we're going to make this we're going to fill this out into the 50 dollar game whereas if you start with the 50 dollar game and you're like we want to make this 20 dollars because that's where we think it should position in the market that's really hard um or a lot harder at least in most cases um, because you're like cutting stuff out and you're like, well, that's part of the game. I can't, you know, how do I not have cards? Like you need cards, right? Like, or now I'm used to like these miniatures and there's line of sight rules and stuff. Like, well, you, you know, you can't do line of sight without miniatures, you know? So like, don't put line of sight in unless you know for a fact that you really need, you want miniatures and that's an intrinsic part of the game, right? Um, 
So I have a little, little case study here, uh, or two rather. So you have uh, Munchkin versus Munchkin Deluxe and Catan versus Catan Deluxe, right? Or Catan rather, the, the 10th anniversary edition is the one I'm thinking about, right? So, so regular Munchkin is 168 cards in a, a custom six-sided die in a rule sheet in a box that's way too big. Um, for what it is. Uh, but it is purposely that big because it gets much better sales because it takes space on the shelf, which is a different seminar that I think I'm giving later today about packaging for retail. Um, and that's, that's 25 bucks, or 24.95, right? So it's 25 bucks. Deluxe is 168 cards, rule sheet, six-sided die, and also a game board and 12 player standees with plastic little stands, you know, little cardboard standees, right? And that's 29.95. Like, what, what, you know, like what is going on there? That's, that's not really like an interesting deluxe, right? That's like you're making an extra five bucks, you added this little thing, like, but that was way easy to do, right? Whereas Catan, right, I'm not gonna go through all the stuff that's in Catan, but it's, you know, $49 MSR, and it's got a ton of stuff, right? Uh, is, is anybody here not familiar with the collector's 10th anniversary of Catan? It's a massive treasure test made of wood. It's got, um, they were, uh, they're not hand sculpted, but they were hand sculpted uh, 3D tiles uh, that are huge and painted, hand painted. Um, they're like beautiful. And its MSR was, I think 500, I think it was 499. Um, and that is a massively different experience than the $49 one. So this, the, the, the Munchkin to Munchkin Deluxe, it's like, okay, cool. There's like a, you literally added a, a score tracker. That's, that's literally all it is, a little board with a score tracker. And that, you know, it's five bucks to get a score tracker. Okay. Um, Catan, you added, you know, you, you almost, uh, or you, you did, you factored the, the cost. Like you made it literally 10 times what it, what it is. And, but you dramatically altered the play experience. The play experience with 3D, beautiful, ridiculous, hand-painted Catan is very different experience than the experience that you're having with, you know, standard Catan. Despite the rules being literally 100% exactly the same. Right, so so the physical production um, dramatically can dramatically affect the way that you experience playing that game. Um, looking at you know like a, a lot of minis games can be replaced with literal just like a, put a six sided die and that's how strong it is, right? Like this is a four unit, this is a two unit, or a chip, you know, right? Like there's no miniatures in most cases other than stuff where there is specific line of sight rules. If there's no line of sight rules, there's no reason for there to be miniatures in your game other than that it's fun and awesome and we love playing with toys, right? Like, and that's great. But when you're designing your game, think about like, well, this, is this a game that we can do with chits? Or is this a game that we have to do miniatures for? Um, so, you know, it, what are we, what are we, uh, what are, what is our goal with this game? What is the thing that we want to be doing? Where do we want to see this game? What is exciting about this game? Is, is, is this game exciting because of the toy factor, right? Like there's a bunch of games that I love mostly because they look cool as shit, right? Like they're really, weird and fun and you're just like this is awesome it looks great like I, I like it because it's this beautiful fun you know like playing with all these toys you know um, and then there's other games that I've played that are like just I can't look at I can't you know that the components are cheap and awful and it's just like this game the mechanics are cool but like I don't want to play this game this sucks right um, so so the production can be very important. So those of you that are pitching to publishers too, one thing you want to keep in mind is like have a conversation with the publisher. Like, what are you planning to do with this, right? What are your thoughts on production? What do you want to make this look like? What is your, what is your, are you going to retheme it? Are you going to maintain the theme, but are you going to, you know, what kind of art style are you going to get? What kind of art direction is going to be done on it? Uh, you know, like I'll bring up Laser Riders again because you're right there. Like Laser Riders is a very, is everybody here familiar with Laser Riders? 
Oh, well, you should check it out. It's currently on Kickstarter. It's got like a day left. Go go back it. It's incredible. It's like a Tron light cycle racing kind of thing. Um, and you're laying out track and you're trying to like not loop into your opponents and you know you're trying to go through these little prisms and stuff. It's super cool. And like just that pitch is great. Like that sounds oh, cool. It sounds cool, right? However, the production is fucking bananas, right? So it comes in a in a four-pack VHS uh, little box, and there's four racers, and you have your little, you know, your tracks that you're putting, and each one comes in this little VHS cassette, uh, you know, package, and that's like, this is your racer, and this is your racer, and then you open up your little VHS thing, and you pull out all your little shit, and then the look is just like all neon Tron, like 80s, you know, like airbrushed onto a van kind of shit. And, and it's just like the whole package becomes so much more appealing and so much more exciting, right? If this game was like, uh, I don't know, like uh, you're, you're controlling like you're a river master, right? You're, you're a canal master and you're just like, and it's all brown and you're just like, well, I'm trying to not fuck up my canals, right? Like, well, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's literally the same game, right? Mechanically, but there are so many production choices that are made there both physically as well as, as, as artistically and graphically and thematically. Um, and, and you want to very much talk to your publisher or if you're self-publishing, just think about these things. Can I retheme this to something more appealing? Can I make this like, you know, stand out more? Um, when, you, when you're talking to a publisher, you, you want to be very clear with them about what you're comfortable with uh, changing. We just talked about this, so this is all fresh in my mind. You want to be very clear about what, where you're comfortable with them changing what they think they're going to change, what they what they want to do, how much input you get to have on what they're doing. Um, you know, there are many of the, especially larger publishers, are like, well, you know, your opinion's great, we'll take it, but this is our game now. We're going to do whatever the fuck we want. Like, you sign that, this is ours. We will do whatever we want. We're going to make this about, you know, like, mimes dying in a ditch, right? This is the mime death game, right? Like, that's what we're into. This is the kids are, that's what kids are about. It's really hot. It, it, it's really hot on uh, Snapchat right now. Dead mimes, right? You know? No, <laughs> I'm usually funnier when I'm like drunker. Uh, so, so the, the the visual thing is is part of that, and that's part of your design from the beginning. Is will your physical production tie into the thematic elements that are going on, right? So, um, who here's familiar with uh, like Shogun or uh, Wallenstein? It's got the uh, cube tower, right? Uh, it's a really cool mechanic, and but it's this tower, and you're throwing cubes in representing different troops that are fighting um, and some of them fall through and then you're counting but but the tower aspect is sort of intrinsic to the design like that's that's important but the thing is it's kind of like this old uh, old timey you know sort of like combat game so you're like in the tower and you're fighting and it's all like themed into it it's not just here's this random thing it's like oh this is the tower and you're fighting through the tower and you know whatever um, so so is the physical stuff intrinsic to what it is that you're doing is there a way that you can make this in a completely different way, or can you not make this in a completely different way? Which gets into uh, stuff that I was talking about with the multi-use components, right? Like if you're integrating, uh, who is familiar with Ice Cool? All right, so Ice Cool, man, you guys gotta, so first first bit of advice is you guys should go play more games. Uh, be more abreast of what's going on in the industry. That's gonna be very helpful. Um, so Ice Cool is uh, like a flicking dexterity game, right? And you're a bunch of penguins and you're you know running around this house, but what's incredible about it is uh, the box is the game board. So there's you open the box, and then you put the box, the top of the box, and the bottom of the box, and there's little slits cut 
and you put those next to each other and that creates like two rooms and then there's a couple more little boxes inside and you're putting those up and you're creating like a series of rooms where there's holes in between the rooms and you're trying to flick these penguins around but the box is the play field right so that game if you tried to make that game without the box being the play field you would have a much you'd have a bigger box and you'd have a bunch more shit in the box and it'd be much more expensive to make this play field but you're using the box itself as part of the the game itself right so you know like a classic example is you know everybody when you played like axis and allies as a kid you rolled your dice into the top of the box right like you had this big fistful of dice you throw it in the top of the box right so top of the box as like a dice tray you know like there are games now that are using the box itself in interesting ways. Uh, there's targets. You know, you can have like a dice bouncing targety kind of thing, or you have like the uh, what is it? Uh, the pirate game that I don't like. Uh, fuck. It just it came out last year. Uh, anyway, is uh, Ignacy did it? It's like a uh, you're throwing dice into the box itself, and there are different quadrants, and depending on where your dice land, you know, it's kind of like this this pirate moving around thing. Um, Rum and Bones? No. No, Rattle Battle. Rattle Battle, that's it. Rattle Battle. Um, and so you can, you can, that's intrinsic to the design. You can't, you can't make that design and say, well, you, you don't throw the dice into the box anymore. Like that, the box now becomes part of the design. And I think that that's super smart because now that's one less, that's a cool component that also literally costs nothing more. Um, you know, I guess it's slightly more because you probably weren't going to full color print the inside of your box, but you know, that's negligible when compared to like, oh, we want to include this, we have this component tray to roll the dice in and that's because that's part of it. It's like, you know, use the box, right? Um, I love using cards as health. That's so cool. You're, you're, you know, have your deck and you're using it and then you're losing cards and when your deck runs out, you're dead, right? Uh, Pathfinder Adventure card game, uh, right? That's, that's, that's such a clever way to track these things. So now that's one component. You know, you have six players in this game. That's one component that you don't, now life tracking is done. That's, that's part of the basic production, right? Removing as much uh, excess as you can and making that kind of all tied in is A, I think, you know, an interesting, a more interesting, creates some more interesting design decisions potentially. Um, but B, creates a much more marketable, producible game because now, oh, I need 100 cards. Well, how many life counters? Oh, none, actually. So, oh, okay, great. Like, that's perfect. It's so much more exciting. Um, so thinking about, like, form versus function is, is really important. Um, and this is something that you're really, as a designer, going to be able to think about. Like, this, 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 uh, the box is being, you know, the form of the box is intrinsic to the game. Right, the um, you know you can't roll dice without dice. <laughs> you know you want to, you know there's other ways to do random numbers. Uh, does anybody is anybody uh, old enough or collectory enough to remember the early uh, D and D uh, blue boxes uh, before there were uh, polyhedral dice? And you know you literally I have a set where you literally cut out chits numbered one to twenty. You put that in a little cup, and then you cut out chits numbered one to twelve. And you put that in a little cup. And that way you literally would just pull a chit and like, because there weren't 20 sided dice yet. Like they just didn't exist. And they were like, well, we want a 5% incremental, you know, chance of success. So like, well, this is, this is the way to do that. Right? Like, what are we going to do dice? You could still do that. Right. <laughs> right. So again, you, you, you can, you can uh, create the same thing in a variety of different ways. And it's interesting to think about that when you're designing and in your process of designing, you know, I need to randomly generate a number. 
right? Um, what about like a, a Rune Wars, right? You're using you're using the combat deck to also get results. There's no dice. You could have had dice. It would have been very easy to include dice, um, but that would have added cost. Whereas now you pull a card and it's like this is what you're you know this is this is uh, multi-use, but there's also these little symbols in the corners that indicate your success or failure in your combat as well. So that that deck is now randomizing multiple elements within the single same component. Um, so that really tightens all that up and makes it, you know, use the card deck instead of random. Uh, people have seen, uh, I assume, like, there's a bunch of games where you have, like, poker suits on the uh, cards. And then there's something, you know, so you can have that multi, you know, and that's intrinsic to the game. You're using, you're using these cards as whatever else it is, but then also, oh, well, this is like a poker suit, and there, now there's this other little metagame that I can include in this that involves, you know, getting the best poker hand is part of that. Um, Something that I personally have been doing a, a lot with and am, am pretty psyched about is uh, I've been doing these one-sheet photocopy games uh, where they are consumable. So you literally use up the, it's a one photocopy sheet, you literally use it up in the, in the, in the playing of the game. And it's not, uh, I'm specifically avoiding stuff that is like, oh, like the magazine games. I was familiar with like old magazine games and stuff where it was like, you cut this out, whatever, and it was like a cheap version of like what would otherwise be better made as a better game which is also very instructive uh in terms of like how you can make stuff way cheaper and how the how, how the experience can kind of suck because of it right so uh i don't know how many of you have played a bunch of these magazine games some of them are very good but it's not fun to cut all this shit out and then like move around a bunch of janky little poorly designed shits that i cut out okay ish and like when you know like i would have paid 30 dollars for this to be actually a real game right um but so the one sheets it's it's the the physicality of the page is, is intrinsic to it. So um, I have stuff where you're uh, drawing on it, you're tearing it, you're literally setting it on fire. Um, you know, think about things that you can do that are, that are uh, tied to whatever that component is and you can't replace it with a component. You know, that is a very interesting way to approach your design. Whatever, whatever component it is or whatever element it is, is there something I can do that will uh, exclusively require this thing, whatever that thing is, you know, like I can't do this some other way. That, that's where you get into stuff that I think is very interesting uh, in terms of that physical production. You know, like I think laser riders wouldn't work without the track stuff. You know, like you have these little track pieces and they're kind of like chevron, so they like lock in, you know, and it's like, but that wouldn't work if you're just like laying cards. Uh, like the early prototype where you were like laying cards, it just felt janky and weird. And you're like, kind of like, eh. Or you're throwing from target, you're trying to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so thinking about these things early, like, oh, this is a card game. Well, you know, like cards are much cards are very cheap to produce, um, which actually gets to my handout that I don't have. But it is uh, it is a handout that uh, is is kind of basically like a rough ranking of the relative cost of components. Um, it's not specific pricing, but it's relative cost of components because it's very important for you guys to get a sense of that too. So I'll go over that. Uh, you know. Overview and then the handout. It's not like it's great detail, but it's you know it's a good little reference thing. Um, so, you know the obvious ends of the spectrum, right? Is custom miniatures are really fucking expensive. <laughs> Shockingly, right? So if you want those, it's going to be expensive. That's not a reason to not have them, but it's very expensive. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, cards and chits are really cheap, comparatively. It's not necessarily that they're they're nothing, but cards and chits, especially if they're smaller chits, like. 
You can knock those out all damn day, right? Um, and then you have, uh, you know, working your way up from there, you're gonna have uh, like printed materials like instructions, which are shockingly, uh, frequently more expensive than a deck of cards because uh, of the way that those are printed and put together. Um, then you're gonna have, you know, packaging, of course, like boards and tuck boxes and stuff like that. You don't need to care about that unless it's intrinsic, like, you know, like ice cool or, you know, rattle battle or whatever. Don't care about the packaging, the box. We'll talk about that later in the retail one. <laughs> um, then you get into stuff like dice, right? Like um, if you want generic pipped like D6s, those are dirt cheap. If you want like a standard, you know, this is a solid blue with white, you know, six-sided die, that's like two cents, you know? They're so cheap. Then if you get into, you want like a fancier color, that gets more expensive, but it's still pretty cheap because you're not paying for a mold. You're just, you know, the standard component, whatever. Then you start to get into custom dice. Custom dice get really expensive really quick uh, because molding is uh, very expensive. Um, I'll talk about molding, I guess, briefly. Uh, as an, Well, I'll talk about that later. Uh, more manufacturing stuff. Um, you get into, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, game boards. Folded game boards are also very expensive uh, comparatively. You know, they're not quite as expensive as miniatures, but they are they're not cheap. And they also add significant cost in terms of your uh, box size requirements. So that's usually the biggest thing. Like, why is risk in a box like this? Like, that's huge for what, other than the board, risk could be in a box this big, right? So if that board is a bunch of tiles that lay out, you know, everybody's played... Uh, Last night on Earth, or uh, you know stuff like that, right? Where you're 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 setting out tiles um, that are that are creating the play field, as opposed to well, here's this board that is huge and fixed and you know folds in half, cool. Or maybe it's you know quad folds or whatever. That's still a, a huge box, right? Trivial Pursuit, like Trivial Pursuit needs to be in a box this big. Oh no, but there's this quad fold board for some reason, right? Like that just added so much more money to the cost of producing that game for very little. I think uh, return on that play experience, right? Like the play experience is you're, you're answering trivia, not I'm moving around this board. Like that's, you know, okay. Like you just added 10 bucks to your MSR because you wanted a board. Uh, and now it's a huge footprint on a, on a shelf. Um, <clears throat> what time are we at? Oh shit. Okay. Um, damn. I should have paid more attention to time. Uh, <clears throat> I have a fun activity for everyone that we're not going to do because we ran out of time and I'm used to having an hour and a half to talk about this stuff. Um, <clears throat> but it is a really fun activity that I would like you to do later today, if you can, or tomorrow or something. Do this soon. I think it's super fun and you'd be shocked at how good uh, the things you can come up with are. Um, so take 10 minutes and look at what's in your pockets and make a game that is intrinsic to those items. That, that you can't do with other stuff. Well, not that you can't do with other stuff, but that is like, this is intrinsic to these these items that exist. It's not just, oh, well, let's use these. This pen is pretending to be this, and this is, you know, like, no, it's like, well, it's a pen and paper. Well, what can we do with this? And then I have a phone, or I have this, or I have that. Uh, my favorite was, uh, we did this at Dev, and uh, everybody had a credit card, right? So you did, uh, you did credit card roulette, but you did it with the actual numbers on the card. So you were rolling and coming up with like who is at the end, and that's how you determined who. Uh, you know, credit card roulette. Nobody is a dirtbag like me. Plays that right. 
you throw all your credit card, like you go out drinking or whatever, you throw all your credit cards in like a bag and then you pull them out and then the last one has to pay everything. Um, so this was like a variant on credit card roulette that used actually the numbers on the credit cards as part of that game. And you know, and it was just, but it was like, you couldn't do that with anything else. Like it literally, you know, it literally existed as this is, this is a thing that you can't really do without credit cards. I mean, you can always bullshit your way around something in like a really crappy way, but like this was like really based into, into that. Um, you know, so, so as a design exercise, just take like 10 minutes, come up with something that, that is like, okay, I have this change, right? Well, what's cool about change? Well, you can flip it, you know, great. You have a randomization of 50, 50, and then there's heads and there's different sizes. And like, what can you do with this? You know, you stack it, you flip it, you know, like what, you know, just thinking about um, components as, uh, as part of your design process uh, can lead you in some really interesting directions. Um, and I think as an exercise, it's really cool, even beyond like all the stuff I've been talking about in terms of like the, the, the getting the game produced and, and published and everything. It just as a creative energy, like, okay, cool. I want to try using, you know, this. Um, Jeff, who's not in here, uh, was talking to me last night and, and we were talking about, you know, weird stuff, whatever. And, and he, uh, <clears throat> He threw this idea at me that uh, we're going to end up doing something with. Uh, there's those promotional pens, right? And so they have the thing that you pull down, right? Have you ever seen those? It's got like a little banner at. It's crazy. There's like a, it's like a little piece of paper, but it's like not paper, and it's like a little, it's almost like a little projector screen, right? And it rolls up inside the pen, and then there's this little thing, and you pull it down, and then you have all this like, you know, you have all this area to write, and so we're going to write a game that, that all the rules and whatever charts and shit are like on this little thing and then it involves like writing right so so because he we saw this cool he saw he saw this this promotional item available to customize it, you know and he was like what can we do with this what's cool right one thing i'm working on right now is a game uh for a condom uh because uh i am doing promotional condoms for a company and why wouldn't i write rules for a game involving condoms on the back of that condom right like because Obviously, that's what we want to do, right? Um, I got a game that's, that's going to be uh, on uh, matchboxes because it uses matches. Uh, you know, so, so, so thinking about this weird stuff, you'll go in these crazy directions. And even if it's something that's wildly unproducible, I think it, it, it sparks a lot of really interesting uh, thoughts. Um, oh, here. <laughs> so, so now I'm going to like, speed through like, really useful information for you to take notes on. <laughs> Uh, so a few things that you want to keep in mind a couple these are a couple numbers that I'm going to give you that are super helpful right um, the way cards are produced is they are printed on giant sheets uh, of varying sizes and those sheets are then run through a cutting machine which then cuts well usually they're they're, they're printed then they're coated then they're cut right um, but these big sheets are cut and the thing is the big sheets have X number of cards on that sheet So when you're making a game if you know how many cards are on a typical sheet and you make that number of cards Well, you're gonna save a whole bunch of money uh, and that's really good Or you're gonna bring it to a publisher and they're gonna say oh, this is perfect Like I can actually you know, this is gonna make save me money, right? So card sheet counts uh, at poker size, which is generally the standard and that's gonna be two and a half inches by three and a half inches um, Digital sheets are going to be 18 cards per sheet. Um, that is going to be less common, but especially if you guys are starting out, your smaller publishers, your self-publishing, 18 is very relevant to your interests. Um, standard offset printing sheets are either 54 or 56, um, which you'll notice 54 is a multiple of 18. 
which is very convenient. So if you design in multiples of 18, it's hard for you to fuck up because even if you do a sheet and a half, that's, that's still good math. That still works. You know, you do a sheet, and a, a sheet and a half, sheet and a half, that's still good math, that still works well, you're still utilizing the entire sheet. Um, <clears throat> similarly, designing for 54, not 56. It's really easy, really easy to either add, uh, it, it's super easy to add an add card, like A-D-D-A-D, right? Um, Fantasy Flight does this all the time. You open your game, whatever, and then there's a card that's like, oh, check out, you know, Twilight Imperium. And you're like, okay, you know, but that filled a sheet and there was a little ad and maybe one extra person bought the game because of it and it was free. Um, so it's very easy to add cards, um, even if they're not rule cards. You can always add player aids. People don't, you know, people are always happy to get more player aids, right? Like always happy to get another like rule summary, whatever. Um, so design for 54 or 18. And 18 is multiple 54, so that works great. Um, <clears throat> if you're looking at mini cards, just thinking about that, if you need slightly more than 54, uh, you can think about mini cards. Those are typically 70 a sheet. <clears throat> you know, those little, uh, you know, like uh, Ticket to Ride train cards. Uh, you know, Fantasy Flight uses a ton of them. Those are typically 70 a sheet. So if you're if you're making a game and you're like, damn, 50, you know, I, I, we need to be like 65 cards. Like, you know, make the game. Don't make the game suck because you want to get 54 cards. But like, if you're like, oh, you know, it's 65 cards, maybe think about doing the mini cards. Maybe think about that that's, oh, well, you know, it's 70. We can play this with mini cards. That's going to work fine. Um, <clears throat> Thinking about boards, um, typically uh, six folds and 27 by 39 is, is going to be the reasonable upper limit for a play area based on a board. Um, if you want to go bigger than that, you're going to want to start looking at larger tiles that you're putting together to create that play space, like uh, Last Night on Earth or something. Um, oh, I forgot to uh, talk about, well, no one cares, uh, in my list. Uh, should I ask uh, questions? Uh, just to reiterate, here's questions that you want to ask yourself. These are things that you want to think about. Um, just as designers in general, but specifically when you're thinking about the production of your game. Uh, what is the market for this game? How much should it cost? Is production value part of the game? You know, we talked about that. Are minis like, you know, this mini game has minis. That's the whole fucking point, right? Um, can I use less stuff and still have the same play experience mechanically? Um, how much needs to be custom stuff versus off the shelf? Again, getting into those dice. You know, D6s with pips are dirt fucking cheap. Custom, you know, D12s in, you know, uh, clear acrylic with uh, glitter paint inside the numbers are going to be more expensive, right? So think about can you replace this with that or not? You know, is, are the custom dice nice? Great, of course. You can always make custom dice, but, you know, Thinking about what needs to be custom versus off the shelf is huge. Does anybody have any questions? Hey, Matt? Yes. Uh, you talked about mini cards. What are the dimensions of those? Sorry, what was that? What are the dimensions of mini cards? Oh, mini cards. Uh, I didn't have it written down. I forgot off the top of my head when I was making these notes. Um, oh, here's something actually that's really huge. Everyone go sign up for uh, the Panda. Everybody knows Panda, uh, Panda Manufacturing. It's uh, pandagm.com. Uh, you sign up for an account, and then you can go through their quote generator, right? Um, a, if you're ever doing uh, production, you always want to always quote with Panda. They're great. They're they're good people. You may end up not printing with them, but it's always you know they're good people to get a quote from. But the hugest thing, this is great for designers, not just uh, publishers and producers. Great for designers. Go to their. They have this whole series of drop-down menus. 
of every component possible for the for in general until you get into like really weird shit like I want rocks in a bag or whatever, right? Um, and you click on it, and then you'll see here are all these like they have there's custom you can click custom and then put in whatever you want, but there's also a drop down menu of all these like common standard sized things, right? You can get there's a bunch of other, you know, I didn't talk about square cards, I didn't talk about uh, tarot cards. There's, there's a, you can get that, you click on it, a little drop down menu, and it's like 70 cards a sheet at, you know, in this dimensions. There's this card is this dimensions, and there's this many a sheet. You can get that information. You can look at what are the different uh, typical sizes for, uh, you know, player mats. What are the typical setup for chits? What are, you, know, you, can, you can look at that, and you can get an incredible, incredible wealth of information that will help you think sort of inside the box in terms of your components, right? Thinking outside the box in terms of design is amazing, but you want to think inside the box in terms of like what components there are. Um, if you can do something standard, right? Uh, we uh, had an issue, not an issue, but a thing where um, we were doing uh, a project for somebody and basically, uh, you know, they'd been doing it for years and it was a, a account that I brought in and, you know, we we're kind of going over the things and I was like, you know, like if we knock an eighth of an inch off of this, uh, you're gonna save probably about, you know, twelve thousand to thirteen thousand dollars on the print run, uh, because now you fell inside like a standard uh, box dimension, right? And they were just like, nobody, you know, nobody told us, right? You know, like we were just printing with this factory, and the factory was like, well, that's what you want, cool, is how much it costs, right? And you know, one of the value-added services that we did was, uh, you know, looking at things like that. But it's not to sell myself, more as a, a sense of thinking about these things can be dramatically, dramatically the difference between your game getting published successfully, whether you're doing it yourself or with someone else, and not, right? So, so if you think like, hey, this is a dice throwing game and the play area target is, you know, four by six, that's, that's gonna have a thing. If the target area is, you know, 10 by 10, well now all of a sudden you exponentially increase the cost required to make that game because now you have a bigger box, you have a bigger, you know, this. Um, you're now outside of a standard dimension. Uh, so now this is a custom uh, mold that we need to make. Um, oh, I promised I would say something about how uh, plastics are made, real quick. Um, so plastics are generally made one of two ways. You create masters. Um, those are either digitally created, uh, digitally sculpted, you know, or physically sculpted, right? So the, one way or the other, you're gonna have to create that physical thing. Um, then what happens is a master is made, there's a cast made from the master, which then get turned into a mold. And the mold is gonna be this heavy, super precise industrial piece of metal. Um, and that piece of metal is gonna get filled with plastic. Um, it gets squirted in one little end, there's usually typically a sprue. Um, at this point, it's very rare that uh, items still come on sprue. Uh, like miniature gamers are pretty much the only ones that still put up with that bullshit. Um, like board gamers are not doing that anymore. So it's gonna get cut off, you're gonna see a little knob. That's where you see that little kind of like thing that kind of sticks off, right? Um, so there's usually a sprue that goes out, the, the channel that everything comes in, it gets fired through, then it you know pops open, everything gets popped out. Um, so the mold, that setup, the, the, the creation of that master and then the mold, incredibly expensive, literally thousands of dollars. To shoot plastic into that thing, each time, let's say you're doing, you know, if you're, it's like, two cents, three cents, five cents. It's very, very cheap to, to make those miniatures once you have that. Although that said, the setup cost, to even, not even just to, to make that stuff, but to actually you know, put it in the machine, calibrate it, that is also very expensive. So like offset printing, right? We're talking about print runs, right? Uh, printing, uh, most offset printers will do like your entire print run in five minutes if you're printing a thousand units, right? Like, 
and they will calibrate 500 copies of your game. They'll, to calibrate the printing, they'll print 500 copies of your thing before they actually are like, okay, cool, it's ready to go. And that's a short process. So the more you do, the setup is a huge part. So the more copies you do, that's why it gets so much cheaper at certain points. Because now, you know, like it took me an hour to calibrate this, it took me an hour and 500, 500 prints to calibrate this machine and get it where I want it to be. If, you're, if your run is 500, well then you're gonna pay for 1,000, right? And that's gonna, that's gonna like massively increase the cost. If your run is for, you know, 1,000, I mean, sorry, not 1,000, 100,000, and an extra, five, an extra 500 is nothing. So your co like that cost is just gone. It adds you know, pennies on the dollar to your unit cost to get that calibration done because they're just gonna turn it on and it's gonna go. Um, so print run sizes is, is very important. Uh, other questions? I have a question, actually. Is there is, um, a standard mold size? So one of the things that we found was just by cutting one or two miniatures, you'll really have your mold cost. But I could never get a straight answer of how many miniatures gets me onto one versus two versus yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be very much manufacturer specific and machine specific, and uh, yeah, that's something where you just need to work with your manufacturer um, and work with a manufacturer, especially that this is very big advice. Spend the extra little bit of money to work with someone who is not uh, who who knows games. You know, whatever the company is, pay that little extra bit. Um, you know, not not specifically that they're overseas or not overseas, but just work with people who are gonna work with you, because it is really easy to fuck up production, really easy. And you want someone who's going to look at that because the thing is, if you if you send that to certain printers or manufacturers, they're just going to say this is the cost. They're not going to say yeah, they're not going to say drop 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 half an inch on this sword, and you're going to save ten thousand dollars. They're not going to tell you. They're just going to say yeah, that's what it costs. And you're going to say oh okay, I guess that's what it costs, right? You want to be working with people that are going to look at your shit, and say, hey, you know, do this. Like here's and then that will explain that to you too. Explain those options. Say hey, listen, if you cut one mini, you know, this is how many we're fitting in our machine. This is how we set up our molds. Like, if we do it this way, you're gonna save a ton of money. If we do it, we can still do it exactly how you want, and that's fine. And maybe you do need it that way, and that, that's great too. But like, you should be able to have that conversation with your manufacturer, whoever that is. And so having a manufacturer who is uh, experienced in making games, who is typically uh, gonna be someone who speaks English better, is, is usually kind of the, the knock on overseas, not, not specifically that overseas is bad, but just that, you know, a lot of times you're like, hey, I need, you know, 20 meeples. And, the, you know, it's someone who, like, has not even the best grasp of English in general, let alone these, like, very, like, insider baseball gamer terms. Like, you know, my mom doesn't know what a fucking meeple is, right? You know, so, like, this dude owning a factory in China certainly doesn't know what a fucking meeple is, right? Um, we're at 12 o'clock now. Uh, so we are almost out of time. Uh, we are out of time, actually. Yeah. What am I saying? That uh, mini cards are 45 by 68 millimeters. Thank you. Whatever. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if anybody has other questions for me, I'm going to pop outside. I don't think I have anything for another couple hours. So I'm happy to continue rambling about this stuff. Uh, I apologize for not having a handout. There, will, there is one. Um, and I can show you what's on it. I have it here. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't do that yet because if I had done that, I would have been able to print it this morning like a proper adult. Whatever. I'm usually still not awake. Well, this is about when I'm waking up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start being way more informative in a few minutes when I wake now, up fully. Now that your panel's over. Now that this panel's over, well, it's not a panel. It's a seminar, Christopher. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, thank you guys. I have no idea what's in here next. It's probably good. Yay. Oh,
towards you. Oh, yeah. everybody get out of here. This, yeah. is, this is awful. What is it? I'm surprised I'm not on it, given that like I'm probably the only one.